Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Rob Geraghty. Rob's someone I've known for a few years. He is a presentations coach and founder of a company called The Wow Factor. But much more interestingly for the purposes of this, he's also a property investor. He's someone who talks a lot about getting out of the rat race and is someone who is uh, also very active in helping other people to do those same things. So he does a lot of kind of informal mentoring, coaching and talking to people about how they can develop passive income, uh, how they can live a better life. And it really thinks a lot about how to make really good, smart decisions uh, to make your life much better and to develop the kind of lifestyle that you really want. Uh, so this is a really good good conversation. And uh, Rob actually lives quite close to where my parents live, uh, up in the Midlands. So I travelled over to uh, just on the outskirts of Warwick and went round to Rob's house. And we started with dinner, which was really nice. Uh, so we started with dinner and then we got talking about... Uh, who cooks the meals in the household? And the answer that I was given was a little bit of a surprise. So you join us at Rob's house. Uh, it's early evening. Uh, Sarah, Rob's wife, is just putting Freddie, their little baby, to bed, which you'll hear in the background uh, a few minutes in. Uh, but basically, uh, we start by talking about Rob's uh, arrangements for dinner and food in the evenings at home. Uh, we've just had dinner at mm-hmm. your house, which is really lovely. Thank you. And some very nice, uh, like, homemade chocolate made from raw cacao and other stuff. Um, and then just before we press record, you just said, oh, you know, it was our chef that made that meal and not not us. So tell me, tell me about that, first of all. Well, um, yeah, quite simply, we had the, the idea uh, years ago that somebody said to us, oh, wouldn't it be great if you had a personal chef? And um, I just started thinking about that idea and ended up putting an advert on Facebook saying, look, we're looking for uh, some help with uh, with cooking. We always want to eat well and eat home cooked foods. Uh, Freddie was born two years ago and we're struggling to find the time to do that. Yeah. So we came up with the idea of advertising and um, a lady got in touch and said, my husband is the head chef at a local gastro pub. Yeah. He'd love to help on his day off. So... Um, <laughs> Once a month now, uh, this guy, and I shouldn't mention his name for fear that anyone knows him, um, he spends his some of his day off uh, cooking up loads of food for us. Wow. We supply all the food to him, so we organise shopping, online delivery. It gets delivered straight to him. So does he give you, like, you, you set up, you do the menu between yeah. you, right? Well, so like, probably we, we choose the menus, but yeah. we order all the food. It all gets delivered straight to, to him. And then, you know, two days later, he'll say come and pick it up it's all in the freezer wow and then it fills our freezer for a month and uh, and then we can plan our meals out in the week based on that <laughs> that's amazing how many meals does that cover out, out of like i mean how many times do you guys have to cook versus how many times are you using that stuff that's made very rarely you know really? so you know because you know you can make you know because he makes batches of things okay. rather than ah, just okay. you know he doesn't just make yeah you know that that we just had that veggie curry and he doesn't just make that for two he'll make that you know eight portions of it so, yeah right um, but it works really, really well. So, um, so yeah. So we have our own personal chef, which sounds awfully indulgent, but it's uh, it's true. Love it. Um, and I suppose that's probably quite a, a good example of where to start with this conversation. So, so we met a few years ago. I think through was it was it through my book? Like how how did we first? 
No, get some, in touch. Somebody put us together online and said, uh, put together some group of connectors and said, these people are all good connectors and oh, networkers. Oh, we should just chat. Okay. And just said we should chat. And then uh, I know that I came on a, a workshop which Lee ran down in uh, Bristol. Okay. Uh, and yeah, the productivity yeah. workshop. And then I read the book and... Um, then we've been to the football as well, so yeah, yeah. But we won't mention so, that. Obviously, yeah, so, so we were screenshotted on uh, BT Sport or something, weren't we? Which is still on our, our uh, respective Facebook pages. Stuff. Sounds like Freddie's going to bed. He doesn't yeah. seem too happy about that. No, so. Freddie's going to bed now, so <laughs> he's uh, not not into going to bed at the moment. But um, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. So so we've known each other for a few years, and one of the first conversations I had with you, which really inspired me, was you telling me about a thing called Vision 35. Mm. Um, and that phrase has been stuck in my head, and I've recently done my own Vision 40. But let's just start with, why don't you just tell everyone what, what was Vision 35, what, is it, what did it mean to you, and what did it consist of? Mm. So if I go all the way back to, uh, I created Vision 35 when I was about 28. Uh, I'm now 39. And I, I was basically unhappy in my job. I was working for Vodafone in their corporate head office down in Newbury. I seemingly had it all, you know, I'd not long bought first house, um, I was doing well at Vodafone, I'd had the opportunity to go and work for them in South Africa, um, but, um, but I wasn't happy. And uh, I did some coaching, I was coached, and what came out of that was I created my dream about where I'd like to be, age 35. Mm. And, uh, and I gave it a name as well, I called it Vision 35. And I basically said, I'd love to be married and have kids. And at the time, I didn't even have a girlfriend. Um, I said I'd love to um, to do work that I absolutely loved and work that even if I couldn't be paid to do it, I'd still want to do it because I loved it. I said I'd love to be financially free. So my aim was to retire by the age of 35 um, and I'd love to be fit and healthy. And they're very big and they're very broad. And I didn't know the detail of it, but I knew I wanted all those things in my life by 35. And pro yeah, and I remember at the time being just really inspired by that. I didn't realise that you hadn't met Sarah at that point as well. <laughs> like that's like that really does sort of put it into focus. How well I'm sure it put it into focus for you how much there was to I, to do around that. Know, the one thing I had worked out is that I wanted to be in a relationship. I knew yeah. that I wanted to have kids, um, and I guess if there was a something that drove it all, it was I knew that I wanted to have freedom and flexibility in my life. And I guess that's what the sort of financial side of it is. If I had, in, you know, if I had uh, financial independence, then you know I wouldn't have to do things. I wouldn't have to work, and I could yeah. make choices. Um, so it was all about doing that. And I really want to get into the the money side of that um, as well in this conversation. But I suppose listening to that first description there of Vision Thirty Five, I'm sure one of the things that will stand out for a lot of people is. Yeah, I was 28 and I wanted to retire by 35. So uh, tell me more about what that definition of retirement looked like at 28 and like where you are now with that. Yeah, and, and, and I guess a lot of that retirement thinking was all fueled by reading a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I find lots of people have bought the book and then many people haven't read it. Yeah, um, but that classic shelf help. Absolutely, yeah. and, um, and in the book, uh, Robert Kiyosaki talks about the idea of um, having passive income, about having income, money that comes into your life without you having to necessarily work for it. And and then there's a board game as well, which um, I've played with many people. And the way that he defines it there is he says that you need to have enough 
money coming in passively to cover your expenses. So it's got to cover the mortgage, the food that you eat, the holidays you go on. And at that stage is where he defines that you're out of the rat race if you've done that. So that's the sort of <clears throat> measure that we've always had. So to be able to retire, um, I had to have income coming in that would cover all of those expenses. So retirement more, I guess, as like a state of mind in the fact that like, I mean, you go out and do work and do stuff that you really love, but it's like that freedom of, yeah. I don't have to do that. And hey, the, the idea of retirement was never to be able to sit at home and watch Jeremy Kyle yeah. or to just or do to nothing or to of, move to yeah. Spain and do, do nothing. But it was about having the freedom to do things. Um, so, you know, and what that dream always was, was about being able to drop my kids off at school or, you know, if my son was playing uh, football, well, to be able to go and watch him. Um, it was partly inspired by a conversation I had at, at Vodafone with a, a senior leader there. And I remember it was a Friday and I remember he looked at his watch and he said, well, I'm, I'm hoping to leave by six mm. to get home and see the kids today because my first meeting was at eight o'clock this morning and I didn't see them. They were still in bed. And, you know, just realising that my future could well be that I was going to be in that big, high-powered job, but I wasn't going to be able to see my kids. Right. Um, and then sort of, well, what's the point of doing that and having kids? Mm. So, um, so I wanted to go a different way. So you've got out of that, and I... I think we'll uh, we'll talk a lot more about that. But just before we do, in terms of that situation at Vodafone, because this is something that's really interesting for me, writing this book around work-life balance and and you know thinking about how different people see that. Do you think? I mean, do you think it's possible to ride that tension between having that career that is burgeoning and you know your going up the career ladder and, and you know and, and really being successful within a large a large corporate business and have the kids or do you think it's just incompatible like fundamentally and you know what because it's 10 years since I left Vodafone now and I just don't know what organisations are like in yeah. a way now and also so, maybe what you would how you would have been in that situation with kids yeah. because you were obviously younger yeah and you know but having said that I do see my uh, you know someone I know my neighbour who works four days a week um, seems to have a lot of flexibility to be able to work from home. You know, I do see him dropping the kids off at school. So, you know, I wonder whether that is um, is more possible these days than it was 10 years ago when mm. I was working in corporate life. But That's true. Um, but I think the thing that I know also is there is that stress that, you know, those jobs never finish and you're still thinking about it later yeah. on. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're working more remotely now, so there's always conference calls and things like that. So... Um, and, guess, and increasingly globally as well, right? Like, yeah. I mean, we have a few clients with Think Productive where they're UK businesses, but then, you know, as they clock off, America wakes up and yeah. it's an American company and they're, they're the sort of younger brother or younger sister or whatever. And it's like, of course, you know, you're going to be on the phone at 11 at night and that kind yeah. of thing. And I guess what I like is having the choice, you know, I run my own business now and therefore it gives me the choice to be able to, you know, set those hours that I want yeah. to do. So, um, so let's talk about that really briefly. So you are retired in a um, financial freedom sense, um, but then you have... Uh, we're, we're not quite there with the retirement yet. So, okay. you know, and again, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the specifics on the, the, the financials. Um, but your, your main income stream is passive income, right? Like that's... that's yeah, I mean, you know, well. so one of the things that we've worked out recently is we need to live off, we need £60,000 a year. 
Um, so we know what we need on a monthly basis uh, or, or an annual basis. And the property uh, at the moment is bringing us £3,800 a month. So what's that about? £45,000, £50,000 yeah. a year. So actually there's a difference at the moment. So, you know. But that's pretty, I mean, you know, pretty close to it. That's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, we're, like, we're, we're, so we're getting pretty close yeah. to it. And also we've got a very clear plan. We've recently bought uh, another property yeah. that means by this time or by September next year, we'll be at that goal. Cool. And yes, in theory, I can sit back and watch Jeremy Kyle. So. <laughs> right. uh, but the stuff that you do uh, where you're, I guess, more conventionally trading your time for money and running a business is the wow factor. Yeah. So just just briefly, just kind of paint a picture of what is that business and what do you do? So that business is all about presentations. Uh, I absolutely loved when I was at Vodafone. One thing I did love was standing up in front of people and presenting. The second thing I discovered I loved at Vodafone was coaching and developing other people. And what I've done over the last 10 years is bring those two things together. And now I'm working with people all of the time to coach them for the delivery of big, important presentations. So it could be a product launch. It could be a, an internal uh, update. Um, but all of those presentations where I'm helping people to deliver those more effectively. And people just find that terrifying, right? Like, I mean, I, I do a, obviously a lot of public speaking as, as part of my job, but for people who once or twice a year, they have, a, they have something like that where the pressure's really on, mm. that must just be a really terrifying thing. It is. And what fascinates me is just how relatively easily <laughs> I can help right. people and make a difference. You know, and again, a friend recently... <clears throat> got in touch and she had a a job interview coming up she was very worried about it she had to give a presentation uh, she was a a new mum and was returning to work <clears throat> and she came around here in the evenings and I spent probably total two and a half hours with her absolutely transformed her presentation and her confidence to present mm. and she went in there and smashed it is her word she sent to me in a text message and she got the job cool so um so yeah, it works. Are, are there like three or four things that come up every time? You know, when you're doing that kind of work with people, are there like just universal things of just do this better and my presentation will be better? Yeah, I think you know people don't necessarily structure what their uh, their material. People have got terrible material, as in PowerPoint slides. Um, you know, there's always far too much text on there. And what's interesting is everyone says too much text is a bad thing, but then they show me a slide with right. too much text yeah. on it. So it's actually doing that. Um, and people start terribly with the whole, good morning, hi, I'm Rob, uh, thank you for being here. You know, and at the moment we want things snappy, we want things faster. So I do a lot of work with how you start your presentation, how you finish your presentation, how you put a nice structure in there, how you show people where, where you're going in that journey. It makes all the difference. So, um, yeah, and people get the jobs on the back of it. Cool. Um so in terms of the, I suppose the, I suppose one of the themes of, of this whole podcast really, I, I was making some notes just uh, on the way here. And, I, and one of the things that struck me was the, the terminology lifestyle design, mm. uh, which I hear a lot. And there are lots of books about it and podcasts about it and stuff. It feels like you're doing lifestyle design in a period of your life which is not the sort of young I mean the you know the the, the stereotype around lifestyle design is Tim Ferriss aged 22 or whatever he was when he wrote four hour work week and it's like hey live anywhere you know go and 
fly off and and you know uh, live in live in the Cayman Islands for six months, run an internet business from there, come back for a bit, go off and do something else. Um, you're designing a lifestyle in an, a period of life where you've got a two year old kid. Mm-hmm. You know, you're thinking about like where are the good schools and like you have a house and all that sort of thing, and you know, um, and a very firm base. So it kind of feels like. It's kind of lifestyle design, but non-douchey in, in some ways. Um, and it feels like Rich Dad Poor Dad was a really influential book for you around that whole topic. So uh, maybe just um, let's just talk about that book. I've read it as well. And I've come around to your house and played cash flow before, which, mm, was, was, mm. which was amazing. Um, so how did you discover the book? And like, what was the, what was the bit of that book that really sort of turned the light bulb on for you around, you know, I want to get into passive income and property and that kind of thing? Um, so I, I don't know how I discovered the book. I remember th- wanting to buy the board game though, and the board game's like um, <clears throat> it's seventy or eighty pounds to buy yeah, the board game. Yeah. And I remember thinking, well, I can't possibly buy a board game for seventy, eighty pounds. And but one of the principles in the book is he says, don't say I can't, say how can I? Mm. So Jimmy, uh, a friend of mine at Vodafone, and I came up with the idea that we'd buy this board game together, forty quid each. Uh, we'd put in. And um, and then we'd host sessions where we'd charge people five pounds to come and play for it. So of course we ran two or three of these sessions, and we'd paid back for our board game. Right. Okay. And then actually, what was interesting, and again using rich dad terminology, it turned into an asset because mm. from then onwards it started making us money. And again, it was no real business or anything, but yeah. there was a you know shift in our thinking with that. Um, so that was really... there are particularly around money, there are so many limiting beliefs with yeah. things like that, and that's a good example. I should also carry that carry out that by saying I bought the board game, and I don't think I've actually I played it at your house. Mm. I don't think I've played my copy of the board game. So, like, yeah. so that was a really bad investment, just off the off exactly the same. But I think thing. one of the... but it does change your sort of way of thinking about that when you start to, you know, just start to ask yourself how can I and those kind of things. Yeah, and 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 again, what was really interesting was. Uh, most people come and play the board game once and that's the end of it. And they think, well, I've, I've learned the stuff, I've read the book, that's the end of it. But actually, the more you play it, mm. the more you learn. And, you know, just playing with different people, different perspectives. So I did a lot of hosting the board game, which is yeah. what I was doing when yeah. you came round. And um, and just that was really useful and seeing different ways of tackling things. So what, what I found, my, one of my big takeaways from playing Cashflow at your house was was how interesting it is to hear other people's inner narratives and inner monologues around money and the yeah. assumptions that they've made around money and the assumptions that they've made around what's an acceptable lifestyle choice or an acceptable thing to do in my life. Like people don't, everyone has a different view on those mm, things, right? Mm. So like, I'd imagine that's a big part of the learning of the game. It's like, yes, you can learn the material of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but just, you know, the idea of hearing how other people uh like having those light bulb moments or changing their minds on things yeah. it's like i mean that's powerful right well it just even seeing what how people in the game when you play it some people you say to them how much money you've got and they're like i've no idea because yeah. they just they just collect all these you know it's a bit like monopoly they just collect all these notes up together yeah whereas other people have got everything laid out perfectly all the notes mm. and different things they you know they're almost keeping a tally as they go yeah. along so different attitudes to money um, and it is quite a similar game. Like eBay, he's he played a lot of Monopoly before he designed that game. Yeah. <laughs> Although there are some very there are some very big differences, I think, in terms of have, having having uh, a very small annoying p- 
part of the game in the middle, which is the rat race. And then yeah. once you get out the rat race, everything becomes much easier and more open and yeah. that sort of thing. But certainly, like if if you've never played it and um, want to get a sense of what the game would be like, Monopoly is probably like the closest thing to do it. But I mean, you do you like you definitely see parts of a personality of someone when someone plays Monopoly that mm. you don't see like for the rest of their lives as well. Yeah. I think something I'd always thought of was the idea of actually almost creating my own version of the game that took into more life into account because you know it that is quite focused on financial side of life and you know I was almost imagining a game where you could I don't know somehow you'd have health and vitality points and you could have you know how how productive you were and you know if you invested and went on on a workshop to learn some more about something then it improved your ability to be productive or you know to do public speaking and therefore you could get higher fees in your job or something like that so although um, i suppose that's the interesting thing with some of the robert kiyosaki rich dad poor dad stuff is that i mean he would say why would you want higher fees like he's very it feels like he doesn't really want you to even be you know like doing a job two days a week where you're uh, where you're trading time for money yeah. right like so that doesn't even fa- factor in his his sort of assumption is and his formula is like here's how to create passive income and only passive income yeah. right um and let's let's maybe just get onto that as a as a, a definition um what is your definition of of passive income what does that mean to you so well, I guess it means money that just carries on coming into my life. Not that I was going to say without me having to work for it. There's obviously some work involved, but there's less of a connection between the amount of hours that I put in and the return that I get. So we've uh, we've bought property, and um, those properties now, I'd say on average, we spend two hours a month working on the properties on that business. Yet it brings us the equivalent of a £50,000 salary. Um, so that trade-off is, well, it would seem like a good job. Yeah, Most people right, would choose yeah. that job. Yeah, um, Two if, hours a month, 50 grand a year salary. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think so um, Most people listening to this would, would probably take those odds, right? Exactly. So, yeah. um, but, you know, there's been a lot of effort to go in there. You know, we had to generate a lot of capital in the first place to be able to uh, buy the properties. We've, you know, done them up as well. We've invested money in that. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, for the amount of time that we have to put in now, the return that we're getting is incredible. And I think that's the thing. I mean, passive income as... I mean, that's why I asked you that, about the definition there. It's a, obviously a very attractive idea. And then there is that... And, and I think once you get to a certain point, it pays off. But there is that setup hmm. um, effort that needs to go in. So the idea... I mean, there's so many people on on the internet who try and sell that whole notion of why don't you build a machine on the internet that just prints money and like and everyone thinks that you can just do that in a weekend and it's just going to give you as much money as you need to live off forevermore and i just i i just fundamentally disagree with that and i think part of that is yes you do have to go and uh if it's property you have to go and check on those properties or there is that couple of hours a month but also if it's something that's not property but it's you know, info products or, you know, some kind of online business or whatever. Like, you build a machine, but machines need oil sometimes and they mm. need repair sometimes. And like, you know, mm. I mean, even I think I think about that a lot with, with my business, Think Productive, is there's always things that I have to go in and fix or change or, you know, you, you kind of have to work on it to kind of keep it fresh but and I real, even though there's a yeah. massive element of passive for me and, you know, how, like sort of the things I do 
uh, like sort of between nine and five aren't the things I get paid for, if that makes sense. Mm. I think something about designing, though, with that end in mind. So, mm. you know, I'm also a massive fan of the E-Myth from Michael Gerber, and he talks yeah. about putting pro- uh, process into your business so that, you know, at some stage you could step away from your business. You know, what what I'd love to hear you say at some stage in the future is that you've stepped away from Think Productive, but it, it carries on running and, you know, it's still spreading the messages around the world and you're still getting income from it. So, you know... And I think all of that's true, actually. Um, I think I'm still... I haven't stepped away from the work, um, but the work that I do... around. So I could decide not to ever write another book and I mm. could decide not to do this podcast, which is, for me, a lot of fun, but actually, you know, it's certainly not lucrative yet, right? Like, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for the day I get the phone call saying, uh, I, I want to sponsor this for, for mega money, whatever. But like, I, honestly, like I'm not doing this because I think it's about money. Hmm. Um, so I feel like that for me, you know, the money that I take from Think Productive is generally the money that like the rest of the business has earned. Um, and that the royalties of the book has earned stuff. And then the things that I do day to day, I should probably just choose more of those things that are fee paying rather than like doing lots of stuff that doesn't, you know, doesn't sort of directly sort of bring money in. But yeah, I kind of, I do, I do definitely think about it in that sort of mm. similar kind of way. And, and also just the fact that um, I think just having systems and processes, even if it's things that you're going to continue putting time into day-to-day like doing that in a more systematized way doing it in a more efficient and kind of automated way is just definitely a better way to run a business anyway even if you're not sort of heading on to that sort of more passive thing um so we mentioned property so uh just talk us through your sort of current current setup around property and so we own uh three properties uh got uh, in total across those three properties we've got 18 bedrooms uh, properties when we bought them are relatively small properties. They're two or three bedroom properties. Uh, we extend them. Uh, we rent them out to postgraduate students at Warwick University. So we've got a really targeted and okay. specific market. Um, and because we're and is the postgrad students because just they're not going to fuck the place up like uh, first year undergrads well, would. Or but also they, they they'd like something a bit more. Okay. And um, they've been there and they've lived in trashy accommodation. They're a little bit older. Now they're saying, could I have an ensuite bathroom? So right. all of our rooms have ensuite bathrooms. Really? Okay. Yeah. So what that means is that we're at the higher end of the market. We're charging £500 a month for a room. And consequently, the people who want to pay that, you know, you tend to get better tenants yeah. at that, yeah. that sort of price. So the people that rent our rooms, they're really nice people. You know, mm. I really, really like them. And um, yeah, so we've got 18 bedrooms at the moment, but... By next September, that'll extend to, is it 22, something like that. And, um, yeah, it's just been one of the best things that we ever did. Sounds like bath, is that bath time going on? I think that's bath time going on, yeah. The water's Uh, going down. Yeah, I can hear the water. Um, And coming across the blueprint of, okay, it's going to be postgraduate students, it's going to be a slightly higher uh, sort of spec of room and ensuite and all that. Like, was that the formula you had for doing property from day one or did you stumble across it? Like, well, we stumbled about? across it again, you know, next door, but one neighbor, Steve, um, we knew he had some property in that area. We said to him one day, oh, you know, you know, can you tell us about what you've done with property? And he gladly shared with us everything that he knows. Mm. And um, basically we followed his model. Wow. Um, and I think what it had taken him a good few years to learn is what he then sort of passed on to us. 
Um, That's gold, right? That's so valuable. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and in a way it frustrates me that, you know, you, I see all the time advertised on the internet these property courses and it's only £10,000 to go and learn <laughs> yeah, all this right. stuff. And, you know, and, and we were very fortunate that we had somebody who mentored us through it. Mm. But equally what I've also done is I've passed that on. So yeah. I've, I don't know how many people, I must have shown 20 people around our properties who've been interested in property investing and talked through the numbers with them and just shared that with other people. Yeah, and um, you sent me an email once saying like, hey, we're doing a kind of open house, come yeah. and look. And well, I whenever, happened to be in Brighton on the day, so I couldn't yeah. do it. But like, So whenever we finish doing up a property, yeah. we'll always have an open day, which is partly for us to celebrate that we've achieved so something. finished, yeah. But also, it's the best time to show people around because yeah. we've got no tenants in. Right. And yeah, also, yeah. it's all perfectly it's brand all like, new and yeah. everything looks great. So, um, But it's also a desire to, to pass it on and... Um, you know, the, the reason for wanting to do this podcast with you now and also for passing that on is just well, saying to other people, you know, we're very ordinary people, Sarah mm. and I. You know, we, you know, just like everyone else, just had jobs and we've, you know, designed a very different life. And, you know, I think other people can do that. And, yeah. um, and coming back to the definition of being retired and that whole idea of having uh, your passive income, you know, what, what if you just had some passive income that just paid the mortgage? You know, for most people, yeah. mortgage is their yeah. biggest thing. So if they created something that just covered the mortgage, that would be useful. So, um, it and doesn't... then it, and then it saves you money. That either becomes a boost in lifestyle, or it becomes an extra bit of savings that's going towards the next asset, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a kind of it's a thing where you kind of you're always kind of building that next level, right? Like, but it's, I guess it comes back to freedom and flexibility. It gives yeah. you choices. You know, I think I just see so many people have conversations with lots of people, and you feel as though you know, they get to the end of every month and they don't know, you know, you know, they've not got a great deal of money till the end of the next month. So, um, you know, it, it can be different. And I guess also just some security in that sense of if I suddenly needed a whole heap, a whole heap of cash, I could sell a property or like, you know, it kind of gives you this flexibility there in terms of, you know, a bit more of a safety net, I guess, than mm. most people would have. Yeah. Most people don't want to sell a property because it's their only one. And it's like, then I'd be homeless. Yes. Whereas like you have more options to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, diversification is also important because if we only had property business, well, you know, that would be risky. But mm. the whole idea of the wow factor and the presenting business is that's completely different business. Yeah. Completely different business model. I know it in a way is a bad business model that it's selling my time for money. But hey, I can do that at a very lucrative rates. Um, so why not? And I absolutely love doing that work. So, yeah. um, but um, it is about having that diversification. So, yeah. Um, let's just dig into the numbers of of um, the property side of the business. Then, so there's like there's three properties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and tell me how you got started with getting the capital to you know raise the first loans, and how do you yeah. then get onto the next one? And- well, I think we, before we even talk about raising the capital, it's um, one of the secrets to what we do is that we don't invest in the South East, you know, <laughs> right. because we bought property yeah. here in Coventry for 110,000 and 120,000 yeah. pounds. So therefore the amount of deposit we needed, 25% of that, you're only talking, mm. uh, you know, only talking 25, 30,000 pounds. But again, if you were, you know, buying in Brighton, I'm sure you get nothing for Tell me about that it, sort yeah. of money. <laughs> yeah. uh, again, and I hear people talk about investing in London, just a completely different game. So, yeah. um, Do you think that's beyond sort of ordinary person investors now, like London and the Southeast? Well, it kind of feels like it to me. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine so. I mean, you know, but, you know, I just think 
Okay, £30,000 for a deposit. Well, I know it's a lot of money, but I do think, you know, if you somehow could save £5,000 a year, well, in five years' time, you could you could do something here. Mm. So, um, but, um, yeah, how did we actually get the money to start off with? Um, I think I, I bought a property down in Newbury when I worked at Vodafone, which we sold. We had some money from that. Uh, and I guess the other thing was the, you know, the Sarah was employed at the time. Um, also, the, the presenting business was bringing money in. So, but we made a fundamental choice. And I, I guess it was a lifestyle choice that we wanted to take some of our disposable income and, and invest that. So you had decided between the two of you quite consciously, OK, we might have some money here. We're not going to spend it on another holiday or on another golden, shiny thing. Like, yeah. We're going to use this money to then invest and to start. Well, this is the sort of this is the funny thing is you know when I say to people that you know we're we're nearly retired, but you know I drive a, a Ford Focus that's thirteen years old. <laughs> right. You know, Sarah drives a Ford Focus that's six years old. You know, we don't have flashy yeah. new cars. And I remember having a conversation with you years ago where you said, "I only really use a car for work, mm. and so therefore maybe I should just hire cars mm. and put that cost through the business, yeah, uh, rather than buy one and having an asset." sitting on your yeah. driveway that is actually just depreciating and losing you money the whole time. And actually, that's what I now do, right? Mm. Like, and I've done that a few times sort of through my life. So I have a Vespa that gets me around Brighton, but like I've, and I hire cars every three weeks, probably like for yeah. a weekend. And I've done the spreadsheet. It's cheaper for me, right? Like, because I only use cars to get out of Brighton. I, never, I would never use a car in Brighton. Mm. Um, it's cheaper for me to hire a car. But again, most people just wouldn't think about do you know what I mean? Like most people just don't think about that as kind of a, a way of operating. Or whatever. And, and I guess this is one of the, again one of the things that Rich Dad Poor Dad prom- prompted is just it makes you think about finances and money and mm. does it have to be that way? And um, similarly, we I we lived here as which one car for two years. Um, I was hiring cars all the time, um, but now you know with Freddie and uh, children, I think you know we, we need to have yeah, two cars because yeah. we often need to go in different directions and things. So. That's true. Yeah, we have we have a bus stop right outside our house as well, so that that does help in Brighton. Um, but did you find that period at the beginning where you're trying to save the money up to do the first property? Was it was it noticeably like were you eating you know like pot noodles and pa- and plain pasta for three years no. or like what was it a big compromise in no, terms and of lifestyle? And I guess this is one of the. You know, you use that phrase lifestyle design, which, you know, I've always wanted to have my cake and eat it. So, you know, I I wouldn't want to compromise and just live off pop noodle in order to to Mm. do that. So, um, you know, we've always wanted to enjoy the journey as we're going along and, um, yeah, and and do both of those. Um, And were there sacrifices? I mean, like, so it doesn't sound like it was that noticeable to you? No, you know, and I guess I think we were fortunate that, you know, Sarah had a, well-paying corporate job. She worked in sales for uh, Johnson Johnson, the pharmaceutical company. Um, so yeah, I, I guess we could have blown it more. We could have, you know, mm. eaten out more. We could have gone on fancier holidays and all of that. But we still had holidays and still did all of those things. But maybe without, you know. And again, this is one of the things that they say in Rich Dad is that the danger is that as you get more income. What you do is you just say, well, we'll buy a bigger house, we'll buy a nicer car, we'll, you know, I'll upgrade my computer, and you know, you just keep going with your expenditure. Yeah. So. Uh, and you sort of grow. It's like the Parkinson's law thing, you know, work expands to fill the time available. And it's kind of a similar thing with money. Yeah. Isn't it? Like money expands to fill 
not even just the lifestyle that you want, but the lifestyle that you feel like you should have for your rung on the ladder, or your, or what your next door neighbours are doing, or what your fam, you know, people in your family are doing, right? Like, yeah. it, people just have these definitions that are always based on. There's a really great book, um, Alan de Botton. What's that book called? Uh, I can't remember it right now. Um, but he he has a book basically, which is the whole the whole premise. Oh, it's called um, Status Anxiety, and the whole book is the premise of the book is the fact that. Uh, people are so much more concerned with status than they are with any kind of utility of a thing that they're going to buy. And so it's mm. like, does this thing just give me that sense of being important and slightly better than the person next door and keeping up with the Joneses and all that sort of thing? And I think I think that's so. I think it's such a debilitating um, factor on that road towards freedom, right? And and flexibility. Like if you. If you feel like you have to do all these things because everyone else is doing it, then you, that's going to cover half your income or yeah. three quarters of your income or 99%. Or yeah. And we just do so many things that we're doing differently to everybody else. And I guess, mm. you know, our measure, is it working for us? Does it yeah. work for Freddie? Does it work for Sarah? And, you know, talking about the three of us and that's yeah. who it really matters for because, you know, again, lifestyle design, we're, we're designing our own lives. You know, we, yeah, we're, we're choosing this and yeah. we're, you know, um, so if it works for us, great. And if it doesn't, we'll change it. And I, and I guess there's a, a mentality of always constantly, uh, is it questioning or improving and yeah. you know, continuous improvement in what we're doing? Yeah. And so you mentioned you drive a 13-year-old Ford Focus. That wouldn't bother me. In fact, I'd probably look for a 13-year-old Ford Focus because I'd think that's where I can get the functionality of a car for the least possible money. I'd probably... Yeah shop for one of those think, rather but, than but, but I but, had it I had it targeted you know yeah. it was a friend who I knew might be selling their car and I said you know if you're ever selling your car let me know yeah I think 1200 pounds is what I paid for it and I always remember um I think Warren Buffett famously drives a a, a car that's uh, he bought it it was hail damage it had hailstones <laughs> on the roof yeah. you know and this is the guy who's the richest guy in the world or something and but he drives this battered car and yeah. I sort of well, why ever not? You know, do I need to spend my money on that? And and hail damage. I mean, that really sums up Warren Buffett so perfectly because it's like he wants to get from A to B, and he doesn't care that it might look damaged on the outside. Or whatever. Whereas for so many people, they'd be so mortified at the idea of what will other people think of me because I have this hail damaged car mm. or whatever else. Although one of my previous cars, I should mention, this was a Ford Fiesta, which um, had a was it a a front door that didn't open, but basically the only way of getting into the car was to open the boot and climb through the boot. <laughs> crawl through. And I remember being at a corporate client offices in their car park and having to <laughs> crawl through the boot to get into uh, said car. But that one uh, eventually went for so, scrap. So cars, like, I don't give a shit about it at all. Occasionally I've been in that situation where I've done a corporate thing and I walk out into the car park and I'm usually like, I'm there at their conference doing the keynote or whatever. And I think there's some people just looking around at me going, which car's grey I'm going to get into? Mm. People have that sort of curiosity about it. Do you, like, was the, so I was going to ask, has the car ever been that thing for you? And also, are there other choices that you and Sarah have made where perhaps it's different to how other people in your family or your friendship circles would would make some of those decisions? What's the, what, what's the jarring part of it for you? Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone really is looking at the car, you know, to be honest. Um, no, oh, I they think, do though. I don't think I, they do. I, I, th- think, I think loads of people no. do. I think that I think you know people are just so busy in their own lives that yeah. they don't notice all this sort of stuff. So because my sister really ribs me that I don't have a car, and mm. you know if I drive one that's a bit shit, she's she's like, why don't you have a brand new one? You could afford it, and all this kind of thing, right? 
Um, so I, I think a lot more people than we realise are like totally conscious of those status symbols and mm. all that sort of thing. But is there anything else like that that you feel like, okay, we've made this choice and maybe someone else doesn't approve of it? No, I was thinking about, I know some friends of ours went on a holiday recently to Dubai and we went two weeks after them and they'd flown business class and we were flying economy and, you know, and yeah, and I'm, you know, I'd love to be flying business class, but, you know, um, I also know what we want to do with the property and what that's yeah. good, you know, so I think we are relatively long term in our thinking, um, but, you know, we also talk, Sarah and I, about living the business class lifestyle and we find lots of alternative ways of doing that. Yeah. Um, and my simple example for you is um, there's, a, there's a great butcher's here in uh, in Leamington. And if you go in there on a Saturday, it's absolutely packed out. Um, and, you know, you sort of get your, your food thrown at you more or less um, because they're so busy. But you go in there on a Monday, you have a great conversation with them, have a nice bit of chat, and everything's half price. <laughs> so, you know, there, there are these alternative ways. The, the right. place where we went out for the day to today... Saturday afternoon, they had a big they had a festival on at this farm uh, in the Cotswolds, but it was absolutely packed. What we prefer to do is go on a Tuesday and actually you have the place to yourself. And it's just so much more yeah. enjoyable doing it like that. So Here's my tip. If you're traveling from London to Birmingham or Manchester or whatever, uh, you can pay a lot of money for Virgin Trains uh, first class seats. Or you just go to Coach A, which is right at the end of the train. And most people who are in standard class they sort of congregate somewhere near where the buffet car is so if you go as extreme as possible it's like being in usually you know 90 percent of the time it's like being in the first class coach and sometimes even quieter in there um and it's just you know but again it's another great table in there like what can great example of having the business class lifestyle without maybe Mm. having that um you know, having to pay for it in that sort of way. And so you have a, so you guys have a personal chef, mm-hmm. uh, you have a, a cleaner and a housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were saying to me before that you feel like the housekeeper is the one where it kind of, you feel like it adds the most value out of everything you spend money on. Yeah. Um, so tell me about that. So the housekeeper, what does she do? I mean, she comes and changes the beds once a week. Uh, she puts all the washing on. She hangs the washing out. She puts clothes back into drawers, um, puts the washing away. And I just think that stuff is, uh, it's just stuff that we used to get round to doing at 10 o'clock in the evening when we were already tired and you know wanted to go to bed. So what it means now is it's just done. It means that we can go to bed early. It means that we sleep better. So I just think for what it costs, it's just a fantastic investment. And it's like, yeah. So I think if you look at that as like it's buying you sleep or it's buying you like, you know, a couple more hours with Freddie or a bit less stress or whatever. I mean, you know. But less stress or time with Freddie or it also buys me time to work on the business. Mm. So, you know, if I can make three phone calls and write some proposals up, to win some work that's worth £5,000, well, that was worth paying somebody, yeah. you know, 20, 30 quid to be in the house and, and do some things. So, mm. um, you know, I don't, I'm not saying we don't do anything around the house. We do a lot to set up and help the housekeeper, Julie, to uh, do those things. It sounds awfully formal. She's, called the, she's not called the housekeeper. I'd never <laughs> yeah. say that with her, but just in, in my head about yeah. to make the distinction. So, Yeah, and... and uh... And how, how often does Judy come around? Like, what's what's your setup with her? Yeah, so she comes on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Uh, she comes for three hours uh, on a Tuesday, two hours on a Thursday. But then we've started to build our routines around that. So 
we we do the washing, clothes washing, so that it's all ready and dried, so that she can then right, put it away right. on a Tuesday. Um, she would uh, do the wash, changing the beds on a Tuesday, so that on a Thursday again she can put that away. So again, what you know, what we've done, and this is lots of things I've learned from uh, Think Productive, is about getting into those routines mm. um, and not just leaving everything to her. You know, we don't think she's a butler that picks everything up after us. We do a lot to help it yeah. work and make the most out of her time here. So, I mean, that's certainly something that interests me is just kind of house automation. And mm. like, there's so much, I, I actually would really love to write a sort of productivity book on just the productivity of houses and mm. like and how to run a home and that sort of thing, I think is fascinating and kind of hasn't really, I don't know, like it feels like it hasn't been covered And no one that teaches well. it. You, yeah. just don't teach, you know, you, you just do what, what your parents did and what you saw yeah. at home growing up, I think. And but what, what are some of your top tips around like how to automate uh, the sort of management of your home? And that's, I mean, that sounds like a really great, like um, sort of step, having the structure mm. of, you know, Judy's coming around and then you have certain ways of, yeah, so we, well, we work towards those things. What we're also getting to now is we also um, we also plan certain days when we've got food deliveries coming. Um, and again, you know, on, I just think online shopping is such an easy mm. way to, you know, to, to get food delivered. You know, you think of something, you pick up your phone, you just add it to the list, add it to the It the amazes me basket. that people still go and do shopping in supermarkets. Oh, like, um, oh, I completely agree, completely yeah. agree. So... We've also started having a weekly meeting as well. So Sarah mm. and I have a weekly, fa- almost like a, a family meeting because, you know, we are busy. We've got lots on. Um, so we sit down on a Sunday morning and we talk about the week. Okay, who's got Freddie? Who's going to look after Freddie here? Um, you're going to go to the gym there. I'm going to go to the gym there. So we plan all of that out. And then we also talk about meals and food um, because we used to quite simply get home at, 4.30 in the afternoon and say, okay, what's for dinner tonight? Oh, we've got nothing out of the freezer from the chef or we've got nothing in the fridge. And it was a disaster. So we now start planning that out and it's just so much better being able to just look at a piece of paper that says what's for dinner tonight. Right. Yeah. Um, that's really, really helped. Uh, does that kill spontaneity? Like I'm going to go to the gym at between these times on Thursday? Like, I mean, do you get to Thursday sometimes and it's like, oh, I don't want to do that? Well, hey, look, you can always choose that yeah. choice to do it. But, you know, Sarah goes to classes that are, you know, scheduled. I see, um, right, okay. I, I've been doing yeah. personal training sessions, which, you know, I have to book those in. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, but it, but it works. It means that we, I think that allows us to get a lot done. I mean, one of Sarah and I were talking earlier in the week and we were reflecting and saying, we feel like we're getting a lot done at the moment. Mm. But I think a lot of that is coming from being organised and being planned um, in that sort of way. Yeah, um, I think you know one of the one of the big things about all of this is it feels like I mean freedom is a big theme here, right? So mm. it's a big theme in your Vision Thirty Five um, idea, and I think also just the notion of being free from some of that, like the ongoing household chores sort of stuff, being free from the idea of having to be tied to a particular sort of corporate lifestyle and, and that sort of thing. So I guess, you know, just in terms of thinking about freedom, what 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 do you what do you feel is most important to be uh free from? And also what's what's the free what's what's the freedom for? Like what's the freedom to kind of mm. thing, right? Like am I explain that well? Freedom to do what, I guess is the I think for me it's freedom, you know. 
it's almost like you know I'm, I was a single child and I, and I like doing what I want to do. <laughs> it's almost like this selfish notion that yeah. you know what I really don't want to put the bins out, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and you know, and I and I don't mind doing it, but do I absolutely want to have to remember to put the bins out every Thursday? And what used to happen is we'd forget to do it. I mean, oh, we've got loads of recycling that's not gone, so. So it's, I guess it's freedom away from those things that I don't want to do, mm. but then the freedom too that it frees up the time to do the things that we want to do. And you know, I mean, um, Freddie did his first wee on a potty recently. <laughs> but I, and, you know, and what was great was the fact that I was there and I yeah. saw that moment and the way he sat on a potty. He looked so proud of being on a potty. <laughs> and you know, the freedom to be there for those times. Mm. Um, which you wouldn't get in um, Tim Ferriss' four-hour work week. I don't right? think he talks about that. I've yet to find that Because I think so. that's the thing is I think most people do associate this whole uh, idea of lifestyle design with the digital nomad scene and like live anywhere and work anywhere and that kind of thing. But I, yeah, I mean, I think just trying to take some of those ideas and there are loads of really good ideas in a lot of those books and podcasts and stuff, but putting that into, you know, more of a, family kind of lifestyle I yeah. think is really fascinating and you know and again I say it again this is why I wanted to share this with uh, with you and with the people listening to the podcast is because this is just very ordinary people very doing very ordinary things but applying some of those concepts and um, yeah uh, and living a life that you know we feel is business class life and is um, is very freedom which gives us lots of choices which yeah. you know and I also see a lot of people who don't have those choices and I think one of the great things that we did is that we started lots of these things before having children. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I talk to lots of people who want to do these things, but, you know, if you've got two kids and, you know, you're, you're the breadwinner, then maybe you're locked in and it's more difficult to make some of right. those changes. And so. I guess it probably also makes it harder. You know, if you're paying childcare, for example, it's obviously harder to save up a big chunk of money to get 30 grand towards a house right like there are probably times in life where it's easier to do that kind of mm, stuff yeah I, I mean i always always think of my 20s as being you know you think how much of your money is even when you don't make loads of money you just feel like you just frivolously spend it on like going to the pub and eating out and all that sort of stuff are there other things that come up so you talk to a lot of people about how to achieve um you know this goal of financial freedom and and being focused on that um I'm interested to know what you feel like are some of the other stories that other people tell themselves or the things that hold people back or the things that are stopping them from from taking that plunge and, and being confident to do these mm. things. Well, obviously, it's just a, you know, there's a big fear about something new and something different, isn't there? I mean, I've uh, got a, a friend who I know who's been ringing me probably for the last six months to talk to me about buying his first property and... You know, he's just sounding it all out. But, you know, I think it's great that he's ringing me, he's asking me these questions. And mm. what's what's interesting to hear is almost how he's becoming more and more educated the more, he, you know, the questions he's coming back and asking. Yeah. And the fact that he's asking me those questions, I think it's great. Um, what What are the more educated questions? Is that... Is that a really difficult question to ask you? But like, I mean, I'm just trying. Oh, no, no. He's, we're just trying to get a sense of what what are the things that people should be asking themselves if they're like about if they're you know right on the edge and about to dip their toe in kind of thing. Yeah. Well, no, he's really trying to understand if if it's going to work in that particular. He wants to buy in Bista, and he, you know, is it going to work for him in that particular market? Mm. It, you know, and it's just you know the the questions he was coming with at the start were very basic and obvious questions, and yeah. now you know I, I think actually he's. 
he's gone beyond me and you know he needs right, more okay. expertise help because I just know the 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 property market that I know so what's what are your metrics around that when you're analyzing another property or thinking about the next thing is it a a, a simple kind of ROI money in money out kind of thing or like are you looking more for longer term capital growth like what what are the things that no so the game we've the game we play is not about capital growth it's very much about income now because what does income now give you it gives them freedom now yeah so I don't know whether these properties that we own have they changed in any way in value are they worth any more so you don't even track that no so I mean I've got a vague understanding of that yeah. but what we're playing is the you know, getting money every single month from yeah. them, um, and the fact that those properties give us nearly fifty thousand pounds a year of profit at the moment is that's what we're playing for. Because that frees up our time to make the choices that we want to. So that has meant for Sarah that she can be with Freddie full time. It's meant that I've been able to work just two days a week in the presenting business, um, and that's 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 what we wanted. And does do you have the stress of? what if the property market changes or what if um i guess the rental market could change and the other thing that could change is interest rates and mm. if interest rates go through the roof which it's not gonna happen anytime soon but like do you stress test it in that sense sort of further ahead like what's your yeah we do a little bit of that so whenever i was if you know if i'm working out can we afford this i'll work off higher interest rates than i know that we're going to be charged but um, but you know at the moment we're still in this phase of investing and um, there will come a point in the future when we'll start to build up a I think a contingency fund you know if you said to me Rob have you got twenty thousand pounds spare to lend me I'm broke we don't have it because right. it's all gone into property at the moment but in five years time I'm hoping we're going to start to so the whole financial journey will change for us in the future so that'll be about getting a con- contingency fund if you know one part of the market changes or. You know, something means you just need to plug gaps or move money around. Yeah, and you know, we might well choose to move house ourselves and yeah. you know, go and live in a different property. So, um, you know, who knows what the future brings? But I think the biggest thing is we've got freedom and and choice to make in in that future. Yeah, and I guess a lot of people listening to this will think, yeah, freedom sounds good, choice sounds good, um, and some people may, particularly if you are living in Brighton or in uh, in London or somewhere else in the southeast think maybe the way to do this is not property have you talked to people who their model for passive income is something other than property and what are the other things that maybe mm. you've looked at so i guess i guess some people have done it through creating a business um but again i i've yet to see somebody that i know that, that successfully set something up and just walked away from it and just allowed it to tick away um but uh, and then the other one is that that i know of is network marketing and i've you know, I've seen people who've built network marketing-based businesses um, and, you know, have passive income from that. Again, is it really passive? They're still working in that business yeah. and working pretty hard in that business. So, um, yeah, like, do you know people who've completely walked away from network marketing and still have passive income? No, like, no. Because John, who we both know, yeah, I mean, he makes good money and... But he still works he makes, in it. He, he sort of makes it in a passive way, but he's he's very much in that he's kind of in that business isn't he and like he's definitely sort of part of yeah. keeping that going and keeping it keeping people motivated and driving it in a way that is really not that much different from being a manager of like an owner operator of, of your own business as well yeah. right yeah and this is why i come back to and this is why i go well this is why i think the property is pretty good if it is mm. two hours a month yeah. for fifty thousand pounds a year of 
of uh, salary, then yeah. that's a pretty good deal. Um, so, um, but I also think you know, and this comes back to now that we've got Freddie in our lives, that you know that just changes the dynamic for us. I don't think we've got the space to look for new options and models and businesses. And do you know what? I don't know whether I'd want to go and start something new. You know? mm, yeah. Um, so you know, it, it's working for us at the moment, and. Um, yeah, I'm quite happy with that. Yeah, my friend who uh, has a business that's done very well, his 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 line is often, well, why would I go and set up another business? I know what it's like to set up the first one. Mm. Like, you know, I think I think not. I think it's a, it's often assumed that every entrepreneur should be or can be or wants to be a serial entrepreneur, setting up loads and loads of things. Whereas I think if you've put a significant amount of energy and life into making the first business work or making a business work yeah it's like that you know you really don't want to be doing that it's like it puts yeah. you off doing the well, one of the one thing. of the options i've got at the moment i've been thinking about um so i lo- love the presenting work but it often takes me away from home i often go away mm. and stay away for a night a week or something and that's not really what i want to be doing so i've been thinking about retraining as a financial advisor okay so using everything we've talked about yeah. today and bringing that together, and I imagine that would be based here in Warwick. I can imagine having a little office here. I could have appointments between 10 and 3. I could drop <laughs> Freddie at school. So in, I can see a picture of it. But then I do think, okay, but I've got to go and retrain, learn a whole load of new stuff, rebuild a business. Mm. You know, isn't it easier for me to just carry on <clears throat> working with a presenting business and trying to make some changes to that? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I suppose that leads me on to... So we started with Vision 35. Mm. I'm wondering if you feel like... Like, have you have you thought about a Vision 50 or something similar in the future? Or is it like, I met Vision 35 and that's it now? Like, that's that's no, well, life in terms of, okay, I've cracked it and no, I feel like that's I good. Think, um, I think we're still living Vision 35. You know, I'm still... You know, I'm 39 now. I, I don't think it was ever something that... I was 35 and then that was the end of it you know it Mm. was a lifestyle so it's now about you know continuing to do it if you put some metrics against it well you could say that I failed because I you know we weren't retired by 35 but um, but we'll carry on with that but we have you know I think there is a vision as well for the future you know I I really hope that you know I hope we have more children I hope that you know the dream that I have for the future is that they're all adults and that they we have a space a house that they would want to come back to and we can be a family together even though they've flown the nest and wow like um, so that's that's fascinating that your vision is they've flown the nest and they're coming back but like, they're coming back as in you know for most Sunday people lunch. their vision is like okay get them <laughs> like you really, i love that the sunday lunch because most people's vision is like they go to a good school or they go to university or whatever it's not that you're thinking slightly beyond that, which is, okay, they're coming back, they're having Sunday lunch. Yeah, but it, again, what's interesting is all about who, who your role models are. And I, mm. I think of uh, a friend, Diane, and, you know, Diane's, I don't know, she must be in her mid-50s now, and all her children are in their mid-20s. Mm. And, you know, she has this amazing uh, kitchen diner, and it's very much designed around the fact that her kids can all come home they can all bring boyfriends, girlfriends, and I can imagine in 10 years' time they're all bringing their families. And what an amazing space that is to bring everybody together. Mm. Um, so uh, that's what 
I want to create for our, our family is that we've got that space to bring everybody together. So, yeah. um, but that's still twenty years away. So, love that. And I suppose the other thing is that uh, by the very fact that you hadn't met her yet, Vision Thirty Five was your vision. Yeah. And I suppose the next vision is you and Sarah together, and the family's vision, and that sort of thing. So it's maybe a slightly more collaborative thing that you need to be using the the meetings on a Sunday to do. Yeah, yeah, and um, it was interesting that when I, when I met her, you know, I talked to her a lot about this sort of thing. Uh, I think in the first week of meeting her, I bought her a copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad. And <laughs> right. She was a bit blown away yeah. by some of the things that I was talking about. Okay, because um, I'd imagine for most uh, most women or most men meeting a sort of you know potential partner, or going on a first date or whatever, those you know buying someone Rich Dad Poor Dad in week one is either gonna they're either going to fall in love with the ideas of that or they're just mm. going to think, wow, freak, no. leave. Sarah went with me on that one. So. But, and again, it's really interesting yeah. for, for her what that's meant. You know, she, uh, she was working in a corporate job. She was having mm. to drive around the country. You know, she'd think nothing of waking up and driving to Chelmsford for two and a half hours, going to a meeting, turning around and coming back. And, you know, when she reflects on that now, she's like, well, what was I doing? But she was just on autopilot, and, yeah. you know, and... Whereas now her life's very different and, you know, I think she's happier and um, that's made a big difference. Yeah. A lot of the people I've talked to for Beyond Busy, certainly so far in the first kind of, you know, 10 episodes or so, it's been, I think the focus has been much more on work than life. What I love about this conversation is it's very life driven and I, th- I think you you treat lifestyle and the kind of way that you want to live in a very uh i was gonna say serious way serious is the wrong word isn't it but like but you think about it quite deeply and mm. you you know you take it seriously and kind of sort of work on it professionally almost in, the, in that sort but of it, sense in a way and i almost treat my life as a business mm. so you know if i was designing my life as a business well how would you want it to be and you know and that's not to say that everything's regimented everything's formalized but it's just like that. Dis- those disciplines that you would have in a work situation, yeah. um, you know. And we don't have a, a KPI scoreboard for you know <laughs> for how well Freddie's doing. But you know, we do sit down at the start of the year and talk about what are what do we want to do this year? Yeah, and yeah. <clears throat> what are our goals? What are our aims? And um, mm. I love the focus on that stuff. And I also wonder what that then, uh, like, where you are on that spectrum of kind of the work-life balance and and that side of things so like what's your what's your sort of attitude towards the work that you do like do you feel like it's about getting you that money and it happens to be something that you love or is it like i would would you genuinely do it if you weren't weren't getting paid i do some of it i don't get paid you know so i mean (laughs) helping bex the other day the lady going for a job interview i don't get paid for doing that yeah um but I also recognise that I've got a skill. I can massively help people. Um, I was working with a, a sales director recently of a big FMCG company. You know, and me passing on some skills to him is going to make their business millions of pounds. Mm. So I think I should get paid for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but I guess my reason for asking that question is like, do you feel like a sense of mission around the work, or do you feel like your sense of mission and purpose is about building the life and building mm. the home and family? And I think it's the home and family and the life first um, because if I felt the ultimate, ultimate mission and, um, you know, I say to people I'm revolutionising the way people present and I think if I was really, that was my life's mission, 
I'd be doing it five days a week, seven days a week. I'd be flying around the world doing mm. it. But what I've chosen to put first is my life here, Freddie, Sarah, our family. That's the most important thing. And I'm just very fortunate that I found something I'm really interested in and I can get really pe- well paid for doing. Um, and that's why I do that mm. work. Um, I'm really passionate about it. But as I say, I think I'd be doing more of it if I was really, really passionate about it. Yeah. And do you know what it also reminds me of is like the difference between the stuff from Productivity Ninja that I find resonates with people in the UK and the US versus in Australia is often like we want to do this productivity stuff so that we can leave on time, so that we can have the family, so that we can, you know, so that we can have that lifestyle, I guess. Whereas, you know, here it's more... We want to do this productivity stuff because we need to work harder or go faster on the hamster wheel or whatever that side of things is. Um, so having having read my book, I'm kind of interested what your uh, what were the key takeaways for you and do they kind of fit that? Is it about you know, doing the things so that you then have the more time and the more space for family? Mm. Well, as I say, I'm, I only work two days a week. Um, so what I need to do in those two days is work very productively. So... Mm. Um, so I feel like I use so much that I've learned from coming on the workshops and reading the book and um, yeah I, I think it's just essential for me to work in this way um, to have that freedom uh, I need to do all of that and the two days a week is that um, like how hard wired and bounded is that so if you had someone come to you and say hey there's a three day event we yeah. want you there for all three days yeah. presumably you would go if it's yeah. well paid, I'll and do hey, the look, three it's, days. It's, right? it's an on average. Yeah. Okay. Um, and also I think two days a week is what I call delivery day. So two okay. two days a week where I'm away from home, I'm working, coaching, running training session, working with people. Then I'll also have two half days at home working on the business. Where you sneaky peek at the emails and doing reports back to people. And yeah, that sort exactly. Of and admin just, kind of yeah, thing. that sort of stuff. But yeah. then also, you know, working with a PA who does all of the stuff that, you know, can be outsourced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's sending invoices, she's sorting out expenses, um, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I've just, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I was wondering if there's anything you felt like you really wanted to, uh, mention or get across that we haven't covered just before we finish no I just yeah. guess you know to say to people if you know if they want to know more about this then you know I'm open to people getting in touch with me and um, you know as I say I've shown loads of people around the property stuff you know and if people want to know more then happy to do that and if people want to get in touch with me um, get into find me on LinkedIn and connect with me I'm, I'm really open to doing that so cool and what's the best what's the best way to find you just um uh, Rob Geraghty just on, on LinkedIn so yeah, yeah. LinkedIn um, and the reason for that is because my website is down at the moment and, <laughs> and I've done nothing about it because I'm being too busy so and you're trying um, to stick to the two days a week but, thing, right? yeah yeah and you know that's, and actually because that's a, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a big project and yeah. um, uh, in a way you know there's many things that I just think I'm lazy at uh, you know not getting things done but um, it's a choice yeah and I think sometimes it's important to I think that is it's a really nice example of that is like a lot of people would be like oh, I can't rest because my website is down and sometimes you have to go it's a problem but mm. is it that big a problem and it'll be fine next it's week it's been down for 12 months so <laughs> I think it's been quite some time but you know um. so I think if um, yeah I mean if if anyone listens to this if you're interested in I love that phrase living the business class uh, lifestyle uh, and having a personal chef and a cleaner and housekeeper and a PA and a gardener and 
uh, everything else. Um, yeah, do connect with Rob. I think it would be uh, be great. And I, I also just love the fact that you're very, um, uh, you, you're always very keen to share that wisdom with people and you mm. have that very sort of abundance mentality around that stuff, which I, I really love as well. So, so yeah, just to say, Rob, thank you so much for being on Beyond Busy. And uh, if there's any more chocolate downstairs, I think we should go and get some, right? <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a little bit left. So. Let's go and do that. <laughs> So thanks again to Rob for being on the show. We'll put a link to Rob's Twitter as well in the um, in the show notes here, which you can find at getbeyondbusy.com. That's getbeyondbusy.com. Uh, if you want to find out more about what I do, my book is Productivity Ninja and my company is Think Productive. So just go to thinkproductive.com. We have a whole team of productivity ninjas around the world going into businesses, helping you to be more productive, get your inboxes to zero, make your meetings magic and a whole lot more. So check out that as well. And we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, So we have a couple more episodes of this series of Beyond Busy. And then we're going to go straight into a new series, uh, into series three. Um, As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I'm actually not working at the moment. So all of the intros and links for these podcasts were done at the very start of 2017. Uh, So I'm kind of talking to you from the past here. And uh, really the idea is to... Uh, keep a whole bunch of episodes going while I'm on my sabbatical period. Uh, and then I'll be back, uh, probably talking a little bit more about the book and stuff when I'm uh, back in sort of full work work mode uh, towards the end of the summer of 2017. Um, so thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Beyond Busy. Back again in another two weeks. In the meantime, subscribe, spread the word, all that good stuff. And I'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Hold up. 